We just passed cutdown day, and we're already talking about the trade deadline today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and it is Thursday, August 31st, the final day of August in 2023. Thanks so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast, please give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out and helps other Jets fans find the show. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can get can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. Well, today we have our weekly mailbag show. Each week we try and do it on Wednesday, but because yesterday was roster cut down day, we're moving it to Thursday. So thanks to everybody who sent in questions. I love our first question because we are just a couple days past cut down day and people are already focused on the trade deadline. But our first question does involve a potential trade target for for the New York Jets. John, who could you see tar- the Jets targeting before the deadline this year? In the scenario in which Brown and or Becton are not healthy or effective in a month or so, is there much t- chance of a tackle being available? Are there any other needs you hope they will address, obviously factoring that we don't know what the injury situation will be between now and then? Now, of course, the obvious answer to this is it depends on how things play out in the season. There could be some teams that fall out of the playoff race and players could unexpectedly become available. I think it's really hard to trade for a quality offensive lineman in season. I don't know that I have an obvious choice for a tackle the Jets could make a move for. The best case scenario for the Jets is Dwayne Brown channeling the fountain of youth and throwing to, throwing up one more good NFL season and Mekhi Becton playing up to his potential. So that will come into play. If the Jets get what they need out of the tackle position, they won't need to look to trade for a tackle. But of course, most people look at it as their number one need. But let me give you the one name. And there's a caveat. I'm not sure he's going to be available. But over the last couple of days, you started to hear some rumblings that maybe, you know, in a month or two, this guy could hit the open market and he'd be a very logical fit for the Jets for a number of reasons. And that's a guy out in Las Vegas, Devontae Adams, who, A, has a pretty established track record with Aaron Rodgers, B, has played in the Nathaniel Hackett system with Aaron Rodgers. C is in a situation that has not gone ideally for him because he pushed to get to Las Vegas a year ago because he wanted to play with his college quarterback, Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is now gone. D, Josh McDaniels is there. And whenever you got a situation with Josh McDaniels, it's combustible. And you always know the star player could be leaving at any minute because that guy just has no idea how to manage a team as a head coach. So there's a lot in there. And then E, the Jets have some cap space to fit in an expensive player. And I'd even say, F, the Jets are all in right now. So this is a guy who I think could make a lot of sense. And I'll tell you one thing I've been a little disappointed with Joe Douglas the last couple of years. I don't think he's like focused enough on getting the second number one receiver. And if you look at the way the NFL is going, the great offenses, I mean, there's some exceptions. Kansas City traded Tyreek Hill, of course, but they have Mahomes at quarterback. But you see a lot of you see this trend in the NFL. The teams are not satisfied just having a single number one receiver. 
they want a second number one receiver. Now, thankfully, the Jets do have a very, very good number one receiver in Garrett Wilson. But I would have liked to have seen the Jets both last year and this year. I mean, last year, even before the Jets drafted him, they had some opportunities on the trade market and in free agency to potentially add a go-to guy. I'd love to see the Jets just load up a receiver. You see, that's what a lot of the great offenses are doing. Cincinnati, namely, the Eagles with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. It's become the new thing in this league. And when we talk about Aaron Rodgers, I'm expecting him to be a very good quarterback this year. But I think at 39, you know, I want to take as much as I can off his plate. He's still the guy. He's still making, you know, $37.5 million this year. I'm still expecting him to play at a very high level. But if there's like a little bit of decline, well, adding a number, adding a second number one receiver to an offense that already has Garrett Wilson and hopefully has Brees Hall at something approaching full strength and Dalvin Cook. Well, now if Aaron Rodgers declines like 5%, you're not even going to notice it. And it just makes the offense better because now if you have Devontae Adams, you don't have to worry about teams rolling their coverage to Garrett Wilson, paying him too much extra attention. It also gives Garrett Wilson a chance to take a playoff here or there where he's not going to be the primary target. If you follow the NFL, and I've seen some numbers on this, the primary target on a passing play usually gets the ball thrown to him, you know, somewhere in like the 60 to 70% range. And if you have two guys like that, well, then you don't really, you know, your guy's going to be, you know, your primary target's going to be open on pretty much every play. If you have Garrett Wilson running half of them and Devontae Adams running the other half, it's just going to make everybody better. And I'll tell you something else. I mean, I think the Jets right now are probably, if I'm being objective, maybe like that second tier in the AFC. I think that first tier, you'd probably put Kansas City, you'd put Cincinnati. You may put Buffalo. I'll tell you, things are a little shaky. I think things are kind of lining up for Buffalo to potentially have a bit of a disappointing season, which would be good for the Jets. But out of respect for what they've done the last three years or so, we'll put Buffalo at the, at the top of the AFC in that top tier. I think the Jets are in that second tier. You know, you've got teams like Jacksonville in the mix, maybe Baltimore, the Chargers, teams that are, are going to be in there and there are probably a couple others. Miami was probably in that tier teams that could make some noise. And if things fall into the fall correctly, you know, you, you could make a run. If you add Devonte Adams to this offense with this defense, suddenly I think the jets are in the top tier. And I think you could even make an argument. The jets could be arguably the favorite in the AFC if they make this deal. So, or if they make a deal for Devonte Adams. And again, there's nothing concrete that says Devonte Adams is changing teams right now. But you've started to see the last couple of days, people speculating, maybe a few people in the know saying, you know, keep an eye on this situation. And if Devontae Adams hits the trade market, well, I think he's a very, very logical fit for the Jets because, again, he knows the system. He's played in the system before. He's got a great connection with the quarterback. And the Jets are really going for it this year. And this could be the it could be the type of move that could put the Jets in the Super Bowl. I'll just say that. Now, of course, there are other spots you could look to. I mean, it, dep- it all depends on who becomes available. Of course, offensive line remains a place where the Jets could use some help. You know, if potentially some impact. I don't know who an impact tight end would be available is, but the Jets certainly could use stand to improve at tight end. Uh, you know, linebacker, safety, those are spots the Jets could use some help. I'd even say, you know, the Jets have a lot of good defensive ends, but I don't think they have like that elite level guy so if there, maybe there's like a 10 sack guy i think the jets have like a lot of seven to ten, seven to like eight sack guys on this defensive line i don't think they have a lot of 10 to 12 sack guys so you know you could throw it depends on the price it depends on who becomes available i don't think defensive line would be the first place you'd look but there's a price where you know a great player could be you know in the mix i i don't think you'd ever turn down a, a great player at any position but of the guys i've heard who are available right now 
I'm actually turning my attention away from Devontae, uh, away from the offensive line and to the wide receiver position because Corey Davis opened up a bit of a hole. Now, yesterday I talked about how there are some benefits to having a bunch of undrafted free agents at receiver because it gives you more opportunities to find a guy. It gives you more opportunities to develop a guy. But I think the Jets will miss Corey Davis at receiver. And I think his retirement kind of opens up the possibility that they could potentially look at that spot as one for an upgrade. And if you add Devontae Adams to a receiving group with Garrett Wilson, my goodness, this team this team could do some things on offense. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We will continue this mailbag show. We'll turn our attention to Nathaniel Hackett. Should people take notice of Aaron Rodgers making some changes to what Hackett wants to do? Well, we'll discuss that ahead here on this mailbag edition of Locked On Jets. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. You can get ready for the new NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets back guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. And if you're not aware of this, NFL Sunday Ticket has changed homes this year. It's the league's official out-of-market package. If you don't live in the New York area and you want to see the Jets each week, well, there are a number of primetime games, but there are plenty of Sunday afternoon games on CBS or Fox where you'll need Sunday Ticket to access them. And you don't need a satellite dish anymore. Sunday Ticket now on YouTube TV. So all customers who bet $500 get $100 off Sunday Ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV at FanDuel. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. And you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Thank you so much for making LockedOn Jets your first listener, first watch every day. And a big shout out to everydayers, folks who tune in each day, Monday through Friday. We have new episodes daily through the week and then bonus episodes as needed. We continue with our mailbag show. Our next question. This question is hard knocks related. Has Hackett been exposed in that Aaron modifies his plays for him like a tutor does? I don't know that Hackett's necessarily been exposed. I think that Hackett is nowhere near as significant as your typical offensive coordinator is for the New York Jets. And that's just true wherever you have an established big-time quarterback. Because the quarterback, if you have a great quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers, this is Aaron Rodgers' offense. It's not Nathaniel Hackett's offense. Now, if the Jets had gone in a different direction, the quarterback, even if they had run Zach Wilson back, I think Nathaniel Hackett's role on this team would be much more enhanced. But when you have a quarterback like Rodgers, Rodgers knows what he's doing at the line. So is you know, Rodgers changing plays necessarily an indictment of Hackett? I, I don't think so. I think Rodgers knows what he's seeing at the line. He, he's the guy, you know, I think the great quarterbacks, they can figure out what a defense is doing. That's their job to decipher it at the line. If they can get their, their team into a better play, they're going to do it. And I mean, the other thing I'll say about Hackett is I almost feel like his number one job is complete because the number one reason the Jets brought him in here, I think, is to get Aaron Rodgers to play quarterback. And if you go back, you want to ever want to have a laugh. You can go back to the show I did when the Jets hired Hackett. And I said something like, this is a great plan if you land Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they'll land Aaron Rodgers. Well, once again, shows what I know. But you know he had that relationship with Rodgers. I think a big part of the reason the Jets hired him is they thought he he could help them lure Rodgers. And the other thing I'll say is, I think that it's a players' league. I think sometimes it's easy to overestimate how much coaching matters. And I think the move that makes your career as a coach is develop a tight relationship with a great quarterback. Because if you do that, you're going to have a job in this league for a long time. Now, I'm not saying Nathaniel Hackett is Adam Gase bad, but this is the comparison. You know, Adam Gase. If he had never met Peyton Manning, he would have been a position coach for a long time. 
Maybe he would have gotten a crack at being an offensive coordinator somewhere for a couple of years. Because Adam Gase met Peyton Manning, the residual glow for Manning turned Gase into a two-time head coach in this league. And if you look at the job Hackett did last year with Denver, he showed you know, for whatever gifts he may have as a position coach, even maybe an offensive coordinator, the man is not a head coach. But he got that head coaching job because he had the relationship with Aaron Rodgers and because he was around Green Bay for all the success with Rodgers. Now, I think somebody like Rodgers is going to like Hackett. You know, Hackett's very much by reputation a player's coach, a guy who gets along with his players. But I just I think that this is Rodgers' show. I don't think it's necessarily the type of thing that's a negative for Hackett, though, because I think no matter who your coach is, when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, you're just going to let him do what he wants because he's the great quarterback. He knows what he's comfortable doing. So you're going to just essentially hand the keys to him. And a younger quarterback, you know, if something happens with Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson goes into the, the lineup this year, then it's going to be more on Hackett. But I think in any, almost any situation, I mean, the one exception might be Brady and Belichick. Almost any other situation, though, the great quarterback is going to get a tremendous amount of leeway from their coaching staff. So I, I don't necessarily think that that's a huge problem. I, I think that it's just the type of thing that's fairly, fairly typical. Our next question, can you tell me how many st starters a typical team comes up with from other teams cuts should you get a starter every year a starter every two years a starter every three years well i think so the question i think is about how many players you claim off waivers from another team so another team cuts cuts a player how many of those players should turn into starters for your team when you pick them up and the answer is not many i mean i think that it's more about getting role players when you're talking about the waiver wire and the jets have done a fantastic job under joe douglas on the waiver wire you know, the Jets have gotten two starters in Joe Douglas's tenure. They got John Franklin Myers and they got Quincy Williams. So I think the Jets are beating the spread by getting two starters in you know whatever it is four to five years. Guys who get cut from other teams, that means they're, that they're not one of the fifty-three best players on another roster. So if somebody's not one of the fifty-three best players on another roster, what are the odds he's going to be one of the top twenty-two players on your roster? Because that's what your start your starters are essentially the top twenty-two players for all intents and purposes. Yeah, I know there's some positions you're deeper than others, so maybe maybe one position your starters better than your backups. But for all intents and purposes, it's really hard to find a quality starter off other teams' cuts. So I think whenever you find one, it's a bonus. I think those are more about depth moves, and it's one of those things that it kind of shows. I've heard it kind of akin to, do you take your card to get an oil change? Because it's a lot of work and you don't see a lot of results when you do the scouting to see which players other teams are cutting might be good fits for you. Cause there are a lot of players cut in this league and only maybe maybe one or two per year are going to be good fits for your team as depth players. So if your team's consistently good at scouting the waiver wire over a long period of time, that shows that you're doing the work. And I think the jets front office deserves a lot of credit for, the work that they've done on the waiver wire, because beyond the two starters I mentioned, they've also gotten a useful role player in Braxton Berrios off the waiver wire. They've gotten a useful depth lineman, Nate Herbig, who started a number of games last year. So I think the Jets have done a very good job since Joe Douglas took over on the waiver wire. And it, it shows that they're putting in the work scouting because again, like over 99% of the players who get cut aren't really going to be useful for your team. So to pinpoint the guys who will be, that, that's a good job by the Jets. So Nothing but credit to the Jets. I think that they are, I think they're doing better than the spread. Two starters and two role players in the last four years. I think that, that that's really solid. Next question is first round pick Will McDonald going to get enough playing time to show what he's got? 
I think he'll probably see, you know, I don't know, maybe like 20 to 30% of the snaps. That's what Jermaine Johnson got last year. I think that they'll put him on the field in obvious passing down. So let's let him get off, get after the quarterback. To me, expectations are maybe like in the three to four sack range, you know, a few flashes here or there. You have to remember McDonald is a bit of a prospect project. He's a little bit raw. He's got to develop some pass rushing moves. Uh, it's going to take a, probably at least a year for him to develop. So what I want to see, and I think what you want to see out of a rookie, especially one who's a bit of a developmental player, is does he occasionally flash? Do you every now and then look at him and say, wow, if he puts that together consistently, we've really got something here. He'll see playing time. I mean, look, the Jets only have six defensive ends on this team, and Robert Sala likes to run guys in and out. I think it's very logical that McDonald's going to play, but he, look, he's not one of the top four guys. Your top four guys are Lawson, who may be injured right now, so maybe McDonald moves up, but John Franklin Myers, Bryce Huff, and Jermaine Johnson. Those are the top four guys, and then you have Michael Clemens in the mix as well. So you'll see, you'll see him get a decent amount of playing time. I think next year, I think it's going to kind of be the Jermaine Johnson plan, though, again, where you know year one, he's going to play occasionally. Then after that, you're going to hopefully build him up, and then in year two, he'll take a much bigger role. So that, I think that, that's probably the direction you're heading in with Will McDonald. Now, head you on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We're going to close out our show. I'm going to talk about a player who I've been very critical of the last couple of years, but a player who earned a roster spot and a player who I think has carved out a role on the team. I'll give you some thoughts on Ashton Davis continuing this Thursday mailbag edition of Lockdown Jets. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Thursday. We're doing our weekly mailbag a day late because we had to cover cut down day on our typical mailbag day. Our next question, let's talk about Ashton Davis. People are going crazy that he made the final 53-man roster, and it doesn't make sense to me. The team drafted him as a developmental player. They spent years developing him, and by all accounts, he's playing much improved this year. It would be a stupid philosophy to draft a developmental player, then cut him loose once he develops. Granted, he's only a backup, but not a terrible outcome for a third-round pick. Um, I don't know that I agree that he's developed. I know he had one good game against the Bucks in preseason. Um, I am Ashton Davis's number one hater as a safety. Ashton Davis, in the real games he's played, has been absolutely one of the worst safeties I've ever seen on an NFL field. He takes terrible angles. I mean, your job number one as a safety for me is don't allow bad plays to turn into catastrophes. And I don't think I've ever seen a safety turn bad plays into catastrophes on a more frequent basis than Ashton Davis. But I will say this. I do agree with the decision to keep him on the roster because – He's carved out a role on special teams. And there was a real theme, the back of the Jets roster. There were some question marks people had about some of the moves that they made, some of the players they kept. Irv Charles is one of them, a guy who I don't think has a ton of depth at wide receiver, but Robert Sala praised his special teams ability. If you look at what Ashton Davis did last year, he, he had a big role on special teams. He was actually the personal protector on the punt team a year ago. He played all up and down special teams units. Special teams matters. And we're talking about guys who are at the bottom of your roster, you know, your 45th, 46th, 47th guy who are active on game day. They're probably not going to see the field at their given position. They're not going to see the field on offense much. They're not going to see the field on defense much, but where they will see the field is special teams because you don't play your starters all that much on special teams. And Ashton Davis has carved out, carved out a role there. Now, do I trust Ashton Davis to play safety? Well, no, I don't. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree that he's developed not that game against Tampa Bay notwithstanding. But he has carved out a role on special teams. And you know, if something happens at the safety position, you do have the, you know, the young guy, Trey Dean, who flashed in preseason. You can call him up and maybe he steps into the lineup. And you know, is it an ideal scenario for a third-round pick? No. I mean, Ashton Davis, I think, is not going to live up to the third-round pick. But he's at least kind of carved out a little bit of a role for this team. He's at least provided the team value somewhere. And I value special teams a lot. 
around 20% of the plays in, in an NFL game are special teams. So you're a guy who could play well there. It can make a difference. So I, I think I've probably come to the same conclusion, but I come at it with it from a different angle that I don't really think Ashton Davis is a great success story developing as a safety, but I do think he's earned a spot based on the way he's grown as a special teamer. Next question. This is also hard knocks related. Did the Jets do anything special for Corey Davis's retirement? Shocking. It was shockingly. It was totally admitted from the episode. I understand it's a personal issue, but like a goodbye, a handshake or a hug fest would be totally normal to happen and to present uh, and to present because I'm sure it was emotional. You know, I, I don't even want to speculate on this. I, I think that, you know, there's a lot that goes into producing these episodes. I don't know that I would necessarily draw the conclusion that there's something wrong there. I, I think that, you know, it, it's very easy to get carried away. So unless I hear something explicitly, it would just be pure speculation. Um, by all accounts, Robert Sala, you know, express, expressed good feelings for Corey Davis, good wishes. I do wish they had explored it a little bit more, but I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't think it would be responsible for me to go out here and speculate on that. There's anything happening with that. So, you know, I think the Jets will miss Corey Davis. I think Robert Sala said the door is always open. So from there, we'll, you know, that's all I got for you. And our last question, as per overthecap.com, the New York Jets currently have $18.6 million in cap space. If we trade and or cut somebody else, that number could be more significant. Am I wrong to feel optimistic? A number of ways to make this work, and we need to make it work with the limited window on Rodgers. And yeah, that's very true. I think it's a little tricky to do these things in season. Now, at the top of the episode, I mentioned Devontae Adams as a possible candidate. I think the Jets will probably be very active in the trade market this year, no matter who becomes available. We don't know exactly who that is. I think a lot of this money, though, could be rolled over to next year. I mean, the one the one issue with all the cap space the Jets created is that they created it late. So they created it after free agency. So it kind of limits your ability to do things this year. But that's you, you have to remember that in the NFL, every dollar of cap space I have left over for this year carries over to next year. So it's an opportunity for the Jets to do a little bit more next offseason. So it, I don't, I, it's difficult to say because part of it's how, did, how what, could have a, what kind of a start did the Jets get off to? What positions do they look weak? Who becomes available? There's a lot we can't predict yet. But yeah, I mean, I think that the Jets will be looking to use that cap space, whether it's in-season during a trade or the off-season. Because I think at the end of the day, when Aaron Rodgers leaves $35 million over the, uh, on the table, when he, gives, when he gives you back like $35 million, I don't have anything hard to like prove this, but I think common sense would probably tell you that part of the deal is, all right, I'm giving you back this $35 million. You go spend this $35 million to build this team up around me so I can win a Super Bowl. That's how I would do it. I think that that's a pretty logical guess. So I think the Jets will be active as they try and build this team up around Aaron Rodgers. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Lockdown Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast, worth give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out, help other Jets fans find the show. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to close out the week.